Welcome to Upward Together, a space of vulnerable conversation and intentional community where we see each other for who we are and really listen to the stories that only we can tell. Each episode features a special guest, and we dive into a topic that means something to them, highlighting the uniqueness and curiosity in all of us, ultimately learning from and growing with each other. I'm your host, Jethro Castillo, and I hope you enjoy this episode's conversation as we go upward together. Okay, well, before we jump into the conversation, Thomas, why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit, the way that you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Thomas. I'm in... I'm a junior at Santa Clara. Uh, I'm studying accounting with a minor in computer science, and I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for having me, Jethro. Yeah. Uh, the, the majors are semi-important because you said what? Accounting? Mm-hmm. Okay. Computer science is fun, but when I hear accounting, I go, bah. And this is kind of related to actually, you know, the topic that we, well, I kind of wanted to talk about. You could totally take it into a different <laughs> direction. But I think you can kind of explain what I wanted to talk to you about better than I can. So <laughs> kind of explain why I wanted to talk to you today. In prior conversations, you and I have talked about kind of how we look at employment and what we seek out of a job where you kind of have this balance of frequently the passions that people have result in less financially sound places like nobody really very few people think i want to be an accountant when i grow up they think i want to do something really cool i want to be an astronaut i want to be a firefighter i want to be a police officer or something along those lines i firefighters and police officers take almost zero uh college education and then also get paid minimally because of that and so there's this trade-off of your dreams versus financial stability and how you kind of weigh those when you're looking at what you want to do with your life and what you want to learn. Yeah, because, you know, you, you hear all the time, right? I hear all the time. I don't know. Maybe you don't hear this. I hear all the time, uh, do what you love, right? Uh, for, for like, Certainly. pursue your passions. And obviously, those two things are true. Do what you love and pursue mm-hmm. your passions. Um, but it gets muddy when you also need to make money to (laughs) survive. Um, And so it's kind of, again, you set that balance. But for me, it's I've always had the mindset of, of, yeah, my end goal at the end of the day is to make money doing the thing I love. And that to me is the optimal balance. Sure. It's not really balance. Because you're kind of of doing both. You're going to spend, what, 40 hours a week minimum probably on whatever your job is and if you're spending 40 hours every week doing something that makes you miserable it's not a healthy and sustainable way to exist it gets harder when you don't know what you want to be though when either you're the type of person that in middle school you had one idea of yourself and what you wanted to do then come high school freshman year you have something else that interests you sophomore year something else interests you and by the time you're applying for colleges you think oh shoot what what do i do with my life because there is an essence of especially being a college student there's certainly an essence of finality when you're going through the college process and trying to pick what your 
going to study because it's like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my entire life. Yeah. And uh, certainly as I've been in college, I've realized that's not remotely true. You kind of get an education and you do whatever you want with it. Unless it's very specialized, like I couldn't just drop of a hat, do what a lawyer does because you have to go through yeah, exactly. law school and everything. But it's just, I don't know. I'd rather find, like when I, when I was deciding between accounting, a large part of it was, yes, I enjoy math and all of those kind of things. But I also looked at it and I thought, well, what's something sustainable for myself that I can do that in theory will give me some form of flexibility. Uh, accounting is a really awkward profession to claim any sort of flexibility because you're at the whims of the <laughs> corporate calendar. <laughs> but sure. it, like, to pers- pursue the passions that I have at the moment during my free time. Uh, I've really gotten into Legos recently. And so building Lego creations with my dad when I'm home from break is a lot of fun uh, but certainly not something I would ever want to turn into a career yeah I I also wanted to point out and and we'll we'll jump back into the the main conversation but the caveat of caveat the side comment of um the fact that there's a sense of finality at the age of 17 <laughs> 16 18 that you have to have your whole life figured out obviously that's not true but man, it really does feel like that's the case when you're applying oh, to colleges and choosing your major. Absolutely, And I, mean, I think it depends on where you grow up and what type of environment you're surrounded in. But I went to a fairly academically focused high school. And so there's also just a sense of finality about what university you go to. If you're not going to a top university, then you're kind of screwed in the world. And Hundred percent, that is not the case. There are plenty of people who don't go to quote unquote top universities. You're just paying a lot more. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, to be honest, I still feel like there is a little bit of finality to what I decide to do because right now, like I've said, I'm an accounting accounting major, and so I feel like. I will, whatever I decide to do, whether it's public accounting, corporate accounting, or just some form of business element where I'll use my accounting knowledge, I'll still be stuck in this rather large sphere of job markets. Whereas if I had decided to major in chemistry, which I had briefly considered, uh, entirely different world. So like, no matter what, you certainly narrow it down. Yes, you can go back to college and get a new degree, but that prolongs a lot of things. And if it's the right choice for you, it's the right choice for you. But it frequently isn't for most. And it doesn't help that I that I personally don't believe that high school gives you enough experience to make you know for a fact that this is what you want to do for the rest of your life. I actually found that that was the case in in college. And then I actually found that that was the case post-college when I was in the real world. So like I'm, well, I'm 20, I forgot how old I was. I'm 24 now. And I still don't know what I want to do. And I, what was scary was that I was geared up to do med, to be a doctor. Right. Uh, like my, in, from the moment it felt like I could con- think of vocation, 
that would have been four more years of med school after college. That would have been four more years of residency <laughs> after that. And so I was in locked in for another eight years. I would have been 30 by the time I actually got into the workforce. What if at any point in that time I said, shoot, I don't want to be a doctor. Uh, and obviously now I'm 24 and I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to be right. a doctor. What if I figured that out at this time while I was in med school? Uh, I would have been, like you said, stuck because it's not like I can move laterally very easily from a half done, half baked medical degree. And, and, and for me, that just, I, and obviously this is not for everyone. Some people just know they're going to be a doctor. And actually I have some people in uh, friends who are in med school who are still saying, I don't know if this is for yeah. me yet. And so it's, 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 it's scary. Um, and I think there's some privilege there, some freedom there. Cause that's a lot of money too, that has to be poured into that. And at the end of it all, if you realize you don't want to be a doctor, that's a lot of debt. That's the only job you can take to pay off that debt. Like literally the only job you can take to take off that debt is be a doctor or a lawyer, which means you would have to do another <laughs> eight years of additional school to get there. And now you got, and now you're stuck. Right. And so I like that phrase of, uh, of flexibility and choosing. I, I know you said that choosing accounting isn't the most flexible, but in a sense, because, you know, you're nine to five Monday through Friday and you just don't have any leeway other than that. Um, but in another sense, it's very flexible in the way that in the time that you're not working, this is you have a lot because you're financially stable, because you know that you can move from job to job as long as you're good at accounting. You have the flexibility, the freedom, the time to do what you want, do what you love, figure yourself out still in the other time, in the other hours that you're not working. Definitely. And the, to be honest, that's what originally stumbled me towards accounting was not only the kind of as long as it's not busy season, uh, when financial statements are due, which is miserable in terms of the hours you have to work. But as long as it's not during that period of time, you're given relative flexibility, and especially in the hybrid work from home kind of model where you don't have to be in the office all of the time for accountants. That adds a component of flexibility for a lot of jobs, but including accounting, as well as the because I'm sort of paralyzed in indecision about what I want to be, I say <laughs> after college, I will almost certainly work at a corporate uh, or a public accounting firm, at least for a little bit of time. I don't know how long that's going to be. Uh, but I always try to make decisions that leave the most doors open. So it was like applying to Santa Clara, that's I could apply to the business school or I could apply to the College of Arts and Sciences. On the tour, they talked about the fact that it's really easy to go from the business school to the College of Arts and Science to transfer out, but it's really hard to transfer in. So I was like, okay, I'll just apply there. Fortunately got in. And so I was like, I still had the option to back out if I didn't want it. And then I was looking at business majors and I thought, well, this might annoy any finance major, but or finance people, but anything they do, an accountant can do. But accountants have a little bit more specialization and they have to take a test to get certified and do a bunch of random stuff. And so it's like, yeah, again, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm closing the least doors in my mind by going this accounting route. 
And so like after college, it'll be the exact same process of closing as few <laughs> doors as possible. But it also means that when I look to the future, I'm like, oh, shoot, what am I doing? I have so many options. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and then uh, when I was in college, my, uh, my favorite professor and I used to like meet like ever so often over lunch or coffee. And he said, Jethro, well, for, he's, he was my chemistry professor. And he went, when I was in college and I wanted to go to grad school, I was choosing between chemistry or comparative literature. And I went, geez, those are two different things. Like, how did you know what to choose? And it was like, well, you have to choose one eventually. And, and he goes, my biggest advice to you is like, you have to learn to say no and close doors because you can't do everything. You can, you just don't do it, won't do it well. And he goes, that is my number one piece of advice to you. And that was, I think, in 2016, it's 2023 mm -hmm. now. It is the one piece of advice that has always stuck with me. It is also the one piece of advice that I have never adhered to at all. Like in every single aspect of my life, I choose the option that leaves the most options moving forward still. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it means that that person, if you are that type of person, you just still don't <laughs> know what calls to you or what makes you feel happy. And there's also the co component that you can't spread yourself too thin by saying, I've certainly run into this starting in college where I'm getting pulled in so many different directions that I want to participate. And at some point, I just have to say, look, I really love to, but I've already made commitments in these other areas. And unfortunately, I can't help you right now. Uh -huh. But that's always, it's always an annoying thing to say because it is, it's in my mind, the <laughs> I'm closing another door and it would be <laughs> so fun and cool and a great opportunity, but I can't turn my back on the people I've already said yes to right now because they need me. And by saying yes to this other person, I'm going to be, if I'm giving 100% to four activities, and I want to say yes to a fifth activity, it doesn't get to like 90% null. It like suddenly drops to a 60% in all of those five activities. And then it's not great for me. And it's certainly not great for all of the things that I'm participating. And then you end up doing 0% of all of them because they're like, we can, we need someone exactly. better. And so now you've lost it all, right? Well, has there been, a, has there, can you think of an example in your life where you made that mistake, where you said yes, one too many times, and then you were stuck in it. And then and if so, like, did you burn out or and, and still did you do 100 percent for all of them and then burn out or did you slack off and then disappoint? So people? I have a re I I'm great at putting things into my calendar. <clears throat> Once I say yes, I'm really bad at looking at my calendar before I say yes to something to make sure that I don't have something else going on that day. Uh, so it was actually this last quarter. Uh, Santa Clara just had the inauguration of our first female president. And so I work in the event planning office. And so we were doing a lot of stuff on the day of the inauguration. On that day, I had put my availability between when I had classes. And they said, great, we'll work you during those times. I then had a question in one of my class, in an honors uh, classics class on ancient Rome and 
It doesn't matter for the story. Anyway, I had a question about the class and I wanted to talk to a different professor about it because I was curious what their take was on what was being talked about in the class. And so I emailed him and the only time he was available was during my lunch break on that day. And so I was like, that's fine. It was in between my classes. I'll say yes to this. Then the uh, the honors program at Santa Clara that I'm a part of does social uh, conversations with professors. And so the professor, a professor in our math department who studies financial finances from the math perspective, which was interesting rather than from the the kind of finance side versus the pure math analytics of data. And so I really wanted to listen to him because he was talking about retirement funds. And I was, I was like, you know, at some point I'm going to have to deal with retirement funds and investing. So I'll listen to what he has to talk about. And that was going to come at the end of my shift. So it was perfect. I said yes to that. I woke up, I think at 6 a.m. I worked till eight. I had a class from nine. I had classes for the rest of the morning. I met with my professor from 12 to one. I had another class. Yeah. Then I worked till yeah. 8 p.m. with the event team again. And then the conversation was from 8.30 to maybe 10. But of course, the professor went long because it was incredibly interesting and riveting. I just wanted it to end so I could leave. But I was also engaged and I wanted to hear what he said. And so I think that went to yeah. 10, 10, 10.30. And then I got back to my room and I had dinner. <laughs> and so it was the most insanely long day I have ever had. And the next day, I woke up sick. I, w I was just run down. I had a little bit of a fever, <laughs> runny nose. And it was, it was an incredibly long day. Fortunately, I felt like I gave 100% to it all. But it meant that yeah. the next day, I was, at, I was at zero. I emailed professors and said, I can't come to class. I'm sick. It's also during COVID, so I wasn't sure if I had gotten COVID or something from all of the guests I was interacting with sure. for the inauguration. That was definitely a moment of, I stretched myself way too thin. But you know the horrible thing, Jethro? I'd do it again. <laughs> because even though I couldn't... Because you got to close no doors in the and process. It was a lot of... It was a fun, interesting new day with a lot of different things going on, which was exciting. But I could not do that every day. If I didn't have the option... Right. If I didn't have the flexibility of the next day being able to say, I'll just watch the recordings of the class. I can't come to class or anything like that. I couldn't stretch myself that thin or else it'd be bad. Well, yeah, I mean, imagine being active from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. without <laughs> eating dinner until 1030 you probably didn't even get a good breakfast and then lunch was yeah, also lunch was at the same time rough, as a yeah. conversation with someone. So then, and then you're getting less and less sleep. I, you it know, spirals and, quickly. And then, you're, and then it, 
And then imagine you were sick and then you still had to do it again. You had to go 60, 10, mm-hmm. sick, 60, 10, sick, and then you just never recovered, right? Uh, so uh, it's hard though, right? Because it's, it's that, it's, I guess it's that idea of FOMO or uh, like opportunity sure. costs in the sense that like, dude, what, am I, what if I miss out on it? What if that could be my big break? What if that helps me figure out what I want to do for the rest of my life? What if that, if I don't get that, what if I screw myself over later on in life? Um, I don't know why we get into that mindset. I don't know why we all, mm-hmm. a lot of us think like that, but I, you know, it's something that's very human, I guess. Um, but obviously we've talked about kind of, you know, we're very similar in the sense that don't want to close a lot of doors, don't know what we want to do, still trying to figure that out. And I think that's very normal. And I think people should realize that and realize, uh, and, and especially if you have the privilege to have that freedom mm-hmm. and flexibility because obviously there are a lot of people out there who don't get that opportunity and, and you need to work six through 10 every single day to, to make ends mm-hmm. meet. Right. So you don't even get to do what you love and you're not even having the freedom to figure out what you do love. Um, so one, I just want to recognize the privilege that we have to be able to Absolutely. think like that. But the big thing that I wanted to highlight, and this is so funny because you're still in college and I'm in the working force, but really, the person who made me rethink my look on the working force was you. Um, I'm wise beyond my years. What can I say? <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Calm down. And also, I guess my stint in Europe and seeing how mm. they approached work and life. Because um, it's that idea of do what you love for a living. And then I looked at you and I said, why are you doing accounting? Because no way anyone loves that. And, and you went, yeah, but I've decided in that moment to do something, to have a job for the sake of living and then doing what I love, not for that living. Um, and that really, I don't know if I'm wording that correctly, but it really made me rethink what a job <laughs> was or what, what that was supposed to be. Do you want to elaborate more on what I yeah, just said I, there? I would preface it to say that it's not that I don't enjoy accounting. I find accounting rather interesting at the moment. Uh, oh, weird. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just just kidding. the nature of corporate decision-making based on, like, not the physical accounting of, okay, let me debit my cash account and credit whatever, but the actual, what it implies for businesses and how they're, able to take that information and make meaningful business decisions about that. Uh, But all that aside, when I decided to be an accountant, I didn't really have the same interest or drive towards it. It was definitely a... I would be concerned if I had a passion, which, to be honest, I really didn't have. But if I had a passion... I'd be concerned that my job would suck the joy from that passion because I'm no longer. It's like if I put a monetary reward for performing some sort of task, does it become less about my passion and more about the fact that I need it to make ends meet? And it also doesn't give me the space to take a break from my passion. I find, and certainly with piano, which I really enjoy, 
if I practice constantly for months and months for a recital or something, I get sick and tired of it. It's, oh shoot, I still have to practice the piano for an hour today. Or, oh my goodness, I've played this song 15 times and I can't get this one measure. I just want to throw my piano book out the window and move on with life. But then I'll take a break after a recital, after a due date or something along those lines, or now because I'm no longer performing in that traditional sense, I'll just stop playing the piano for a while and then I'll come back and I'll love it. Uh, I just went on a really long break and now I've come back and I'm learning to entertain her and make a leaf rag and doing some rag times, which is really fun. But it wouldn't have the same sense if I didn't have that break. Where, sure, you have vacation time. But let's be honest. Vacation time is not nearly enough of a break for you to actually <laughs> reset and recalibrate mm. for the passion, what you do. And so I would, never, I would never looked at something that I thought was going to be miserable and make myself unhappy. Because I fortunately have sure. as we talked about the privilege and the luxury of that time to make a decision but i also i didn't fixate on the what do i really love and how do i translate that into work a lot of and i'll just say this because my brother is one of the people that is incredibly inspired and interested in this chemistry and like kudos to him I am so happy that he's found a passion and he's pursuing it and he's really happy doing it. Uh, and I think for some people that that is absolutely the right path. But I also think for a lot more people, the uncertainty and everything that we've been talking about lends to this notion of let me pick a self-sustaining job that I don't hate, hopefully you enjoy, but you don't necessarily have to love that you're then able to translate it into, I really like hiking. So on the weekends, I'm going to go hiking or I'm an avid bicyclist or golfing is expensive. I really enjoy golfing. And you have the financial <laughs> flexibility of whatever you spend your time doing, you're then able to extend that into Work isn't your life. It's a facet of your life. Yeah. Well, I have three, three thoughts from that. This is great. One is, uh, you know, there was, I was watching this one live streamer who plays who? video games um, talk about, uh, I don't remember, but they were talking about um, in my entire life, video games has always been mm. my escape. It's what I did to unwind from the stresses of the day from my work from sure. my school and then it became my full-time job and jobs are stressful no matter what because you, you need see? to make money from it and so then i started getting stressed from my job which was playing video games for a lot of people so then you it see? became weird because the thing that i used to relieve stress became the thing that was stressful to me and so then when i decided to take a break i didn't touch video games for like right. a month and then obviously this was them coming back to live streaming and saying all of that and you know they obviously they didn't quit so they refound mm -hmm. that balance um and they kind of did they pretty much said there will be games that i never stream and i do for myself and there will be games that i stream which is kind of that solution but that 
to me, like opened my eyes and it was like, shoot, the thing that they loved, they had to stop doing for a month because it made them so yeah. exhausted. So that was my first thought. Just kind of wanted to bounce off what you were mm-hmm. saying in that regard, especially with the whole piano thing. And it's not like if you get exhausted from accounting, it's not like accounting was your break yeah. anyways. I've heard similar things about video games and just this notion of most people, especially I would say up through college, school is your job. And then you go home from school and you do whatever you actually enjoy. Reading books, playing video games, playing sports, hanging out with friends, etc. And I feel like there's this weird notion that once you get a job, it needs to fill that space. Whereas I feel like it's actually a really healthy thing to... Yes, enjoying work is ideal. Uh, Absolutely. But having it, treating work like you treated school in terms of, and kind of also goes to boundaries in the workplace because sometimes those are not respected at all in terms of I show up for work nine to five, let's say, and this is my hours of work. When I'm off the clock, I'm out chilling with friends, playing video games, reading a book, hanging out with my kids, whatever. And that's my relaxation. I'm not going to make that my job because then what do you do? If, if suddenly playing video games is your job, what do you do to relax? Go to the corporate world? Exactly. One time, you know, I, was, I had a host family in, in, in Denmark and I asked my mm-hmm. host father, I went, oh, like, you know, what do you do? Okay, we'll get into that first because the first thing they said was not what they did for a living. What they said was their pastimes and their hobbies and and stuff like that, which I was the That's third point. I, I kind of want to get into that because it's so twisted how when we ask that question here, especially in the United States, it does automatically mean it either means if you're in mm-hmm. school, what That's are you studying? What's your myself. major? Or it means it like that, what that is the exactly, only thing exactly. I know. like but when people say introduce yourself, I'm like, bam. School, major, and a fun fact. So funny, right? Because, in, in fact, you were the only guest that I asked to introduce themselves. And don't worry, it's not like I thought this far ahead and went, oh, let's, let's set up this conversation to, like, laugh at the introduction. Um, it's just funny that it worked out that way. Anyways, that's the third point. But the second point was, I was like, what do you do? What? So they said, what do you, I asked, what do you do? And they answered with all of their hobbies and their passions and stuff. And I went, oh, so what do you do to, like, as your job? And they were like, oh, I do this thing. And I went, like, do you like it? And they were like, yeah, I guess. And I'm like, why don't you do something that you're passionate about? And, and they <laughs> went, dude, for me, a you job see? is just to make money. That's it. I don't put any other emphasis on a job than to make money. That is the role of the job. I don't think that I need to put my passion into my job. I don't think that I need to love it. Um, and like devote my entire life to it. To me, job is money. And then the rest of my life is meant to do what I love, uh, pursue my passions, enjoy my life. Um, And that is such a, I mean, it it just makes so much sense. It it really does. But I feel like it's so counter US culture. And like almost counter capitalism, (laughs) really. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I, I just, I guess it's really tied into the third point, which is why is our identity and, and, and 
I'm not asking you to answer this question directly necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's more just a, let's put it out there and see what thoughts you have. Why is our identity so linked with our occupation? And additionally, why is it so hard for us to break our identity with our occupation? Can't tell if that's a face of I have thoughts or of a, oh, geez, yes. I have no idea. I'm inclined to say that it's partially related to how we define status and how we put, uh, like, so much effort in idolizing and looking at incredibly successful and rich people for months all i would get was all i would get in like little news alerts was random information about elon musk and twitter and that's still going on today and yeah why because it's what people are fascinated by and that's like it it's what has driven entertainment and what people are interested in i mean and we see these rich athletes, superstars, CEOs, etc., going on their big yachts, having a bunch of parties, driving Lamborghinis, buying whatever they want. And it's hard not to look at that and say, well, they don't have any words, which is entirely not true. Rich people have lots of worries and are frequently more emotionally unstable than, poor, uh, than other people who are less rich. <laughs> um, but what I'm trying to say is that I feel like we put so much focus on mitigating losses and mitigating our own struggles, which is incredibly important. But we idolize money as the end-all solution to the problem. And so if you're not making, let's say you're making, you have a job, you're making minimum wage. Huh. If you're living in California, that's incredibly hard because housing, rent, everything in California <laughs> is incredibly expensive. I think for a family of four, I think both parents have to be working above minimum wage to not be considered below the poverty line, which is insane. <laughs> That's not how minimum wages should work. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, you look at it and you focus on all of the problems that you have because you don't have money. And then you see you going through Safeway and you see a cosmopolitan with random celebrities on the cover. And you hear about it in the news of random celebrities going to their their summer house in Florida and their winter house in the mountains or something along those lines. And you're like, if I just had more money, I wouldn't really be having these problems, which then puts the focus on career advancement. And it focuses on your, your it's an easy way of saying my net worth is X. And People like to compare each other. That's kind of an undeniable element that frequently 
certainly here, people are always comparing to each other. I compare my test scores as, and, you know, if I'm above the average, I'm happy. If I'm below the average, I'm not. It doesn't matter where the average is. We could all get 30%. And if I got a 35%, <laughs> I'm happy. If we all get 98 and I get a 99, I'm happy. But if I get a 97 and we all get 98, okay, I'm still happy, but I'm a little bit mad. Far more mad, mad yeah, than I should be is, for getting a good score. Which is crazy. Uh, yes. You are happier making getting a 35% than you are getting a 97% mm-hmm. if the compare if the comparison rate it, 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 well depending on what you're it's not comparing 97 to 35 it's comparing there was to an everybody interesting else. Interesting study and I forget what it was so don't quote me because I'm probably improperly referencing it but there was a study about employees being asked various questions about compensation in the workplace and what they would prefer. And so you were, you were given an option of, do you want to make $100,000 and everybody else around you makes $90,000? Or do you want to work in an environment where you make $110,000, but everybody else makes $120,000? I forget what the statistical breakdown was, but it was most, more people wanted to work in the job where they made less, but made more than the people around them, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Because obviously it means we're not, uh, we aren't, our happiness is based off, our happiness is based off of our comparative, are we better than everybody else or worse than everybody else? The other, interestingly, they also did it with other forms of compensation. They did it with vacation days. Would you rather be at a workplace where you get, and no. they prefer the more vacation because for whatever reason, there seems to be less status or emotions surrounding. Like, sure, I'll take 15 more vacation days than having 15 more than everybody else. I just like a flat rate more vacation days versus the money where we're like, no, actually, I'll take a pay cut to be better than other people. So weird. I don't know. It's, I don't know how we transition out of it, though. Because that was the second part of your question was, how do we fix a mindset? Well, I, yeah. So let me, let me then kind of rephrase that question. If it's because you're kind of implying it's money and status that we are centering our lives around, which is why we think the way we do and why we prioritize career advancement and why you hear people saying, try to pursue what you love for a living because mm-hmm. living is so important still, like that status. Uh, the best case scenario is to do what you love and that for that, because you need that anyways. So I guess the question that might be easier to answer is if you're not, if we're not supposed to center our lives on money and status, what should we be centering our lives around instead? Uh, I think my, for some examples, I think my Danish family would say Mm -hmm. my family, my friends. And I think that might, you know, be essentially the answer we could say. I my answer is probably really cliche, but I kind of want to say, hear yours. My answer would be God because I'm religious and I believe in God. Uh, but it, obviously, that doesn't actually mean anything because what does it mean to center your life around God, or what does it mean to center your life around family? Uh, and so, again. I'm sensing we're probably around the same cliche notes, but I would say to center it around love and caring for each other. Uh, 
But that's the exact opposite of kind of what we've been talking about is this notion of I want to be better than other people. It's not I should be really happy when the average is higher than me. Because that means that the majority of people around me are doing well. And that in theory should make me happy. Because as a group, we're doing well. And as individuals around me, they're succeeding. And that should make me happy. But it usually doesn't. Because I want to succeed. And then you get this balance of yeah. selfishness and selflessness. And it's incredibly hard. I'm curious, what were you going to say? Did I hit the same note? Yes, I did. Love. 100% is love. And, and it's this idea of, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on God a little bit, not as a sort of preachy thing, but a lot of the dialogue you hear about God and why people revolve around lives around God is kind of this absolution of ego or losing yourself, surrendering, surrendering yourself, mm -hmm. forgetting about yourself. Um, because you're right, you know, if you're doing less than the average, in theory, you should be happy for the group. But because of your ego, you're like, I'm mad for myself, um, rather than saying I'm happy for everybody else. And in turn, I am also happy because I am part of this group. Um, and so that's my touch point on, on God and that idea of people, one of one reason people turn to God is that dialogue of, of letting go of yourself. Um, but love was exactly my thought. And, and we use the word love so much. It's like, what does that even mean? But it is also in the sense, the same way of, of it's the forgetting of self and not in a way of self like deprecation sure. or destroying yourself. It's, it's putting your needs aside to celebrate or to empower, uh, and to support the needs, the successes of others. Um, and Pursuing that to me um, completely changes my priorities of what I want to do in life. And it also kind of answers my question of, I don't know what I want to do in life. Because it's this cliche of, Did well, you? in every single moment, do the thing that allows you to love more. And naturally, you will find then, see, this is why it sounds so cliche, because it's, it's a very hopeful statement. Do the thing that maximizes love at every single moment. And very naturally, love will come to you. And oh, by the way, money will come to you too. The thing that we aren't prioritizing anymore, it'll be there. Um, and so, I, you know, it's kind of weird to just at the end of it all, just be like, oh yeah, love is the <laughs> well, solution. I mean, it gets to this notion of not having a guiding, not necessarily having a guiding task or goal, but having a guiding idea, having a vocation. You're no longer going out into the world and saying, I'm going to be CEO of Apple. That's my goal. This is how it's going to happen. Here's my task. I want to be the president of the United States. I want to be the prime minister of England, etc. It becomes, I want to help people the best way I can. And you're undoubtedly going to eventually come upon the path that you're more inclined to because certain people are better at certain things. Uh, I can't do remotely advanced math calculus. Well, I can't do calculus. Um, I can't do linear algebra and the complex variables and stuff that my brother is doing, quantum mechanics, all of that shenanigans. So it would never make sense for me to pursue that because I'm, the amount of effort that I would put in 
I could be putting that much effort in some other place and be generating a lot more love as we're talking about. The thing about a goal is that once you achieve it, it's done. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, I became the CEO of this company. Well, now what? What's next? But if you have a vision or an idea, then it will always be there. Uh, it, it's, 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 I, I, I talked to somebody who is a runner and they said, yeah, one of my goals was to become a, to run a marathon. But if that was the, the goal and that was my, the main focus of my life, then once I ran the marathon, mm -hmm. what next? They said, no, my identity is a runner. My mm -hmm. idea is I want to run. So that no matter what goals I accomplish, I don't lose myself because I do not ident over identify with the goal. I identify with the thing that never ends. This was actually a conversation I had yesterday with a friend. And I said, I love writing. It's just how I think <laughs> about the world. I like to tell stories, yada, yada, yada. I also haven't written something in months. And they're like, why? And I said, well, uh, I think a lot of things. But one, I stopped wanting to write for the sake of writing. I wanted to write to be validated, sure. to impact the most people, to get that attention. And, um, you know, let's say I do write for that goal. At one point, I'll reach that. And then, you see. And, and then what next? Or conversely, which is happening now, I'm paralyzed because that's a very scary, lofty goal to achieve. And there's no guarantee that will ever happen. If I reframe it and go, I'm writing not for this external validation, but I'm writing because I love it, then almost naturally, I will uh, be able to love better because I'm writing for nobody other than me. Whoever it impacts will be you impacted see. by and whoever it isn't, isn't. And this kind of goes full circle back to the money thing where you were like, if money suddenly becomes an external factor into your passion, does it suck away? life out of your passion or kind of pervert it in a way in the sense that suddenly you have to compromise and mm -hmm. do what the people expect of you and so suddenly you're not doing the thing you love anymore you're doing what other people want and then you fall out of love with it and so in that sense it's if i never have a sign like a monetary value or a status value to something that i love then i just get to continue this unfettered love with it and so i think that's where i kind of want to leave off there from my point of view is just this idea that there is a strong argument in my life to keep what I love and what I do to make money separate so that I never have to get to a point where I suddenly have to compromise my love. Um, how about you? Any, any final thoughts before we close this? Yeah, this with us starting off? to talk and touching briefly on goals, it really made me think of New Year's revolutions, especially considering 18 days ago was <laughs> the beginning of the year. Yeah, so if anyone's well, listening to this and it's in April, just know <laughs> this was recorded on January 18th. Uh, there we go. It's <laughs> incredibly easy for us to make lofty resolutions and goals. And it's incredibly easy 10 days later to stop. Because it, oh, that's yeah. what a lot of business management classes that I'm taking now talk about is this notion of all of the goals that you set for a company have to be reasonably manageable and achievable. But you're then left with the, okay, what next after the goal? And that's why you have these mission statements or objectives or overarching idea for a company or a group or an individual. 
Because I think the same principles of, okay, my goal in life is to generate the most love in the world. Sorry, to generate the most love I can generate in the world because we're trying not to be comparative against others. Uh, so generating the most love I can. Well, because I'm a student, all of these references are student-related mostly, but I know my classroom is struggling in a class that I'm doing well in. Maybe I'll go sit next to them and offer my help. Or the you set these small-term goals based on your overall objective, overall idea that's guiding your life, and you're able to accomplish them generating more love, being kind, etc., without necessarily having, losing the insight of, but you still have the overarching goal, but it's not a thing that's guiding it. It's not a momentary accomplishment. It is a lifelong journey, which is kind of where it gets to the faith component. It's like, a lifelong journey to be loving and kind and good then guides everything else and it defocuses the principle on the status. It doesn't matter if I'm a CEO or if I'm a desk worker for a company or I'm a firefighter or I'm a garbage man or I'm a postal delivery person or I'm an Amazon factory worker. What matters is being able to generate the love that you can. And undeniably, when I always think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, when I kind of talk about this, is like undeniably, you have to be able to help yourself before helping others. You have to satisfy the basic requirements of food, shelter, sustenance, whatever, before you can be... I think it's self-actualization, but I forget which ranking of it is. But before you're able to then help others. And so like money isn't the goal. It's a factor in your life. It's a component. It's a variable. I don't know how we did it, but we somehow like tied everything together uh, (laughs) to be really nerdy. It's like, you know. People are like, oh, math is so weird. I don't get it. Math is a is like the perfect way to describe literally everything that happens and that goes on other than the intangible mm-hmm. things, right? But a lot of things can be described by math. And then so I always think that people who pursue math as a career is pursuing knowledge like of the universe, infinity, like the like infinite knowledge and wisdom. Well, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. We will talk soon. Take care. Thank you for stopping by this episode of Upward Together. We appreciate you being a part of this, taking the time to listen and reflect alongside us. We'll see you on the next episode. Love everyone. Peace.